0: Hello and welcome in. Thanks for joining us for this newest edition of the Prairie & Smith podcast. It's almost time to talk some Sunbelt football, but before we do, we wanted to remind you about our last episode. Caden and I flipped to the defensive side of the football and previewed the league's top defensive linemen ahead of the 2023 season. If you haven't already, make sure you go and listen to that episode. It was a fun one. Today on episode 86 of the show, we're excited to welcome James Madison Athletic Director Jeff Bourne to the Frary and Smith podcast as we continue our Decision Maker series, which shines the spotlight on the leaders at the forefront of the ever-evolving world of college athletics. Caden, this is quickly becoming one of my favorite series that we've done. We've learned a ton over these last several episodes talking to some of the Sunbelt Athletic Directors.
1: It's been fantastic. I think specifically with this conversation with Jeff Bourne, James Madison is one of those schools that's newer to the conference. So I didn't know a ton about James Madison until they became a member of the Samba. And we learned so much more about just an amazing program that, that they have, not only on the football side, but other athletics as well. Just a great athletic director, a great program and a great community they have there at James Madison for sure.
0: Yeah, Jeff is certainly an impressive athletic director. He's been around James Madison for a long time, a little bit more on him. He's actually been at the helm of that James Madison athletic department for nearly 25 years. During his tenure at JMU, he's seen teams have unprecedented success on the field, which included three national championships, two in football, one in women's lacrosse, and conference, countless conference titles. He's also seen countless Dukes have notable success in the classroom and in their community. Most recently, Jeff led the charge to move James Madison into a new era in their athletic department's history by joining the Sun Belt in most sports and by making the much-anticipated leap to the FBS ranks in 2022. Throughout this tenure, he's elevated JMU from a smaller regional footprint to one that consistently competes for conference titles and national championships. They've elevated themselves to really a national uh, contender In 2022, this past season, Jeff helped lead the athletic department to a second-place finish in the Bubis Cup, the Sunbelt Conference's all-sports trophy in the department's first year in the league. Caden, Jeff continues to provide steady and forward-thinking leadership at James Madison amid the ever-evolving world of college athletics. Caden, this was such a fun conversation with Jeff Bourne. Give our listeners a quick preview of what they're going to hear from Jeff in this interview.
1: Our listeners are about to get some great insight on one of the, just the premier in class programs in the entire country. And Jeff is a big part of why their athletic department is such a great one and one that a lot of programs can definitely look up to and model their game after when it comes to being just an all around good program on and off the field, taking care of business in every sport. So without further ado, let's get to our conversation with James Madison, athletic director, Jeff Bourne.
0: Well, we're really excited to have James Madison Athletic Director Jeff Bourne on the podcast. Jeff, thanks for taking some time out of your schedule to join us.
2: Glad to do it. Yeah, I'm anxious to uh, have a chance to sit down and catch up.
0: Yeah, well, let's jump right in as we do on most of these episodes. And Jeff, when you look at your resume, you've been at the helm of this James Madison Athletic Department now for over two decades at this point. Uh, You've had teams win national championships, countless conference championships. What has been some of your favorite memories of probably these past 25 years and the journey so far?
2: You know, I think across the board watching uh, watching some of our programs win conference championships because early on, I came to the program in 99. Our goal uh, back then, as it is much today, is, is the goal is once every four years you win a conference championship and give your, your student-athletes a chance to compete in uh, NCAA postseason play. I, I think that's a really important part of – the collegiate experience, one that we want to see all of our student athletes uh, have a chance to, to do sometime in their tenure uh, at James Madison. And what we've started to see over the years is they, they have more than one experience with that. So um, certainly conference championships are important. National championships are are pretty phenomenal, too, in terms of, of that whole exposure and, and what it brings to the program. And, you know, we've evolved. We've been one of those schools every time that, that I think did a good job with planning and sort of uh, defining where we wanted our future to be. And um, that is a process that goes on every day still. But I feel really good about about where we are and where we're affiliated and the experience uh, that the young people get to have that, that are here on our campus.
1: Jeff, thanks again for joining us. This year, JMU is the only Sunbelt school to have every single athletic program finish with a 500 record or above. It's your first year in the league. What do you think that says about the overall strength of your athletic department as a whole?
2: Um, it tells me we're prepared. We were prepared for this move. Uh, I think we did it the right way. Uh, we afford we're, we will afford opportunity across the board. We're we're not a institution that picks two or three sports and says we'll take care of them and, and, and promote the uh, small number. We, we do it, we do it for everybody. And uh, we find that from a standpoint of synergy and morale in a department and support from coach to coach, that philosophy has, has worked well for us. And um, you know, the old adage uh, rising water, all boats rise. So uh, for us, when, when a program has success, it really offers uh Uh, a a sense of urgency for others. And we felt that all across um, the athletic program. I'm really proud of our coaches and support staff and student athletes for their commitment. But, you know, it goes back to sort of your mission and what what you want that experience to be. And I, I really do believe that's an important part of collegiate sports today.
0: Yeah, and I think even, too, I know Caden and I have gotten the, to experience the James Madison fan base. And I, and I believe that what you're saying is part of that as well, seeing year-long strength from multiple um, you know, athletic programs. It, we just talked about the overall strength of this athletic department, but football in particular has been the model of consistency during your tenure. They've made 14 postseason appearances. You guys have won uh, two national championships what were the keys not only to success but sustained success during that FCS era of this program you
2: now from what what i saw in the past some programs would have success and then they would there would be a letdown uh there would be a lack of maybe uh, intensity uh, a lack of direction and for us whenever a program succeeds um w- we share that moment we we share the victories and and celebrate it but we go right back to work um, shortly thereafter. Because it's as we all know, it's tough to stay on top. Your target on your back gets large and you have to just keep working harder. And that's a testament to the staff and the culture we have at the institution. Um, It's a departmental culture and I see it not one sport, but in all of them. And so the goal is to not be the one hit wonder. Um, You don't want to win one championship. You don't want to get to the national championship just once. You want to you want to do whatever you can to keep that up. And that level of intensity and, and strength and I think intentional planning is, is a really important ingredient um, in, in how we just approach um, day-to-day life uh, at
1: JMU. That's good stuff, Jeff. And two summers ago, Texas and Oklahoma announced that they were leaving the Big 12 Conference to join the SEC and kind of set off the latest round of conference realignment. Six months later, it was announced that James Madison would be joining the Sun Belt. Why was it the right time to make that leap and that move as an athletic department?
2: There were a lot of factors that came into play. I mean, we had opportunity before that time. But for us, in keeping with what we just talked about with equity across the board, I mean, we had a new basketball arena and practice facility that we were trying to build for basketball programs. Um, had we moved earlier, we probably wouldn't have been able to do that. So looking at our program holistically and sort of following a defined plan, uh, it all came together because the facility had been finished at that point. The offer came along. It was an offer that this time around was really, I, I felt, uh, a great spot for GMU because we're, we had a we had an Eastern Division that we're playing in. We're playing with rival schools at Old Dominion, Appalachian, you know, Marshall, uh, all the type of institutions that we had affiliated with in the past. So it was a really good fit there. So it made the travel piece viable for us on a number of fronts. And then, of course, just the the league itself, we felt like was a really good fit. Like institutions, all of the similar nature, similar focus for athletics. Um, It just the the stars aligned. And um, when you can do that and stick to your plan and everything falls in place, you can't ask for much more. So um, I think that's one reason that we've seen the success that we have so far and that the fit is a good fit.
0: I know someone in your position, certainly you love a a well executed plan that you see uh, quick uh, rewards from. We'll talk about that preparedness a little bit later on in this interview, but let's talk about that 2022 football season. It was the first year that you guys were in the FBS. I think back to that first game of this new era this past year against Middle Tennessee State, it ended in blowout fashion and started a perfect five and zero start for this program. What will you remember most about that day, that first FBS game day in James Madison history?
2: It was validating, honestly. I mean, to, to work for as long as we did knowing that we, that was going to be our eventual path. And then to be able to see how we competed at home in front of our own fans was a really special moment. Now, we've played FBS teams and beat them. We played FBS teams and come really close, but um, to do that in our own setting again was very validating, and it was a good indication. I felt like you know we were ready for the move, and um, it was exciting to see our fans and our student athletes because. You know our fan base. They're very, very active and supportive. And a lot of folks have looked forward to that day for a very, very long time. And uh, I know when I sat down after that game that night, that was that was a really good evening. One of the better evenings <laughs> I've spent in a long time. So uh, I was happy for us. I was happy for our student athletes, coaches, our fans, and
1: our university.
2: So it was it was a win-win across the board.
1: That was definitely even watching from TV, just an electric game and something that you could just feel palpably, even through the television, watching how special that moment was. But Noah touched on it. That was just the beginning of a five and O start to the season. And on October 9th, just five weeks into your FBS tenure, James Madison is ranked in the top 25 polls for the first time in program history. Where were you when you got that news and what did that moment look like for you?
2: Uh, I was in a meeting. I remember that. I mean, so I was always in a meeting. It seems like that's where my life is, but, uh, I remember a staff member texting it to me and I was, I had to do a double take. I looked at the phone twice and went, wow. You know, I knew, knew we had a good football team. I knew we were playing well, but that's not something you expect in your first year of FBS. I mean, we know you have to earn your way in in this and it's incredibly competitive. There are so many good teams. Um, we have a great league um, and great teams in it, but uh, you know, our team did perform really well. And Todd Santeo went out with an injury halfway through the season. Had Todd stayed healthy the whole season, it could have been pretty scary. Um, as, as we say, though, you know the target gets bigger when you're ranked in the top 25, so it it brings challenges with it. But what what a phenomenal experience just overall uh, it was.
0: Well, thinking about that target getting bigger, one of the areas we wanted to touch on, obviously James Madison ends the regular season with winning a share of that Sunbelt East division uh, when you guys took down Coastal Carolina, thus securing what you guys dubbed yourselves as the Kings of the East, that moniker. Uh, why was it so important for you guys to celebrate that moment? And do you feel like that has kind of placed a target on this Dukes program?
2: Oh, I'm I'm sure it's placed a place to target. But if, I think if you go to every athletic director that uh, found themselves in the same spot that we did, they uh, they'd probably understand it. Uh, The reason being is you've asked a a group of young men and coaches to compete um, without any chance for postseason. No shot at a conference championship, no shot at a bowl game. That's a tough thing in this day and age of NIL and the transfer portal to try to remain competitive. Um, Today at the drop of a hat, a student athlete can make a choice to go somewhere else, and so. You're trying to do something, trying to offer some experience that, uh, at least for that year, tried to make up for, for some of what they couldn't have. And, um, you know, we tried very hard with the waiver process with NCA, and there's a reason we did that. And I think we're in a different environment today than we were years ago. And, and the portal and um, NIL are two things that had dramatically changed that. And we want the student-athletes that are at JMU to stay at JMU. And we want a chance to continue to be successful the way we were last year. And um, it wasn't meant to be derogatory to, to any member of our league, or certainly not to Coastal. But when you go back and look at where we found ourselves, that's um, that's pretty pretty difficult spot. So uh, I, I I agreed with Coach Signetti and the team. We needed to try to do something to to help offset
1: that. We'll definitely get into those topics of the transfer portal and the name image likeness and some of the changes of college football. But you mentioned Kirk Signetti. It's hard to talk about this team without talking about him. And I know me and Noah love some of his comments and his sound bites from the media. Like no matter it's not a matter of time when James Madison will run the time, run the sunbelt, but when it will be. Um one thing he does extremely well is when he's 41 and 8 during his tenure in Harrisonburg. What makes him in your eyes such a successful coach? And are there any funny stories or sound bites that you've heard personally that maybe stand out during his tenure personally to you? You know, Kurt,
2: Kurt is such a talented
1: football coach. Um, it's in
2: his genes. Uh, I mean, his father, his brother coached and were very successful. He's just one of those guys that from the standpoint of football acumen, is, it's amazing to me what he knows on both sides of the ball. Um, I like, and when I hired him, I told him, you know, I'm hiring you as a CEO of football. You're not going to have the AD come down there on Mondays and talk about what we did or what we didn't do. That's that's, your, that's your, your area, and I will yield to your expertise. Um, I'm a big believer in all of our coaches that we hire, making sure that that they are the CEOs of the program. He does a great job hiring coaches. He does a very good job with the student athletes. Um, there are parts of his game plan that have that I can understand where he's been uh, and why he is the way he is. Uh, certainly spent time at Alabama. Uh, we have two football uniforms, a visiting uniform and a home uniform. So there's, you know, there's something in the fabric of that. Uh, I think we had a conversation one day about other uniforms and, and he was, he was not really concentrating on the uniform. He's talking about performance of his football team and how hard we play every game, uh, uniform and going to make that happen. So uh, even though that there are things I think throughout the country that you look at that are more stylish and, maybe things that, that are important to some programs. His, his, he's very grounded and uh, he's very much about getting the job done, very committed. And I mean, I enjoy being around him. He's a, he's a football guy. And um, one of his favorite things to do is watch film. That's, that's not always the case. Uh, I don't have to run him off the golf course. I don't have to take him out from somewhere else. We, we know where he's going to be. He's going to be working hard. And I think, that type of mindset is what's really permeated our football team, our coaching staff, our, our our student athletes, and the expectations are high. And he's willing to stand up and go after him. So you know, I, we're very fortunate to have him. Uh, I tried to sign him to as long a contract as I could, and I think he'll do a great job uh, continually for JMU.
1: Yeah, it's no secret he's a great coach, and that it's no secret as well that the team has kind of taken on that. Mindset and some of those philosophies that he has, and it's clearly bred to success. But moving on to some of the off the field topics we like to get into in this series, and some that we touched on a little bit earlier, but it's no secret that there's a ton of change going on in college football, and it's a big transformative period for college athletics as a whole. When you look at the transfer report, you look at name, image, likeness, and the multiple rounds of conference realignment that we touched on. What has been the biggest challenge for you as an athletic director during a period of so much change? You know, we talk about
2: managing it. Managing the change, and right now we're not sure where things are going to end up, and that that's that's always a little concerning. Uh, what we do know is there are things that have to change. There are things in order to keep a level playing field in sport, in order to keep amateurism in sport, um, and in order to have a bright future for a broad group of institutions, there will need to be change, and. In all likelihood, it's going to probably involve the federal government to to help us with some of that. And it's just sort of where we've evolved, right? It's not—I don't know—it's the fault of anybody, but we're all such competitive beings that where you open a door and allow something to 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 adjust or within a program, normally um, those things are going to happen. So uh, I don't blame—I don't blame institutions, I don't blame leagues for where we are. It's just sort of where we find ourselves today with where the dynamics are, but we all know that, that we need some, we need some help to bring it back to a level playing field. Um, you know, the days of SMU getting thrown under the jail for what they did. Now you look around too far, there's probably a lot of that going on and nothing's happening. So, um, how do we, how do we make the, the, the wrongs, unintentional wrongs, right? And to me, I think that's something that we as administrators, um, institutions, uh, federal legislators, and state legislators need to get behind it and fix it. So I'm encouraged that'll happen. And I believe the model that we have is uh, and that we've operated under for for years is a good model. It'll take some tweaks and adjustments, but, you know, it's part of why America is American, why we love what we love. We love our sports. And I'd like to see us make sure we keep the amateur side of sport uh, where it is.
0: Yeah, that would definitely be something that I know Caden and I are big proponents of. We want to see these athletes make money off of their name, image, and likeness to be able to have freedom of movement when necessary. Uh, But certainly, I think you're advocating for guardrails and maybe even at the federal level. Um, It was a successful first year for you guys in the FBS, but obviously the elephant in the room, was JMU's inability to participate in the bowl game, compete for the conference championship this past year. And recently, you found out that this team will face a similar fate in this 2023 season. Uh, we've seen a number of teams recently that have gone from lower levels and immediately found success at higher levels. Would you advocate for the current rules to be changed or maybe adjusted um, for programs such as James Madison and, and some to come in the future?
2: Um, I, I think the I think the ruling um, that's in place does need to be looked at. And I would be the first to say it was put in place for a good reason. Um, I, I think in order to step up, make the change and show that you are sustainable over the long run is very important. Um, when you look at the number of institutions that have come through in the last number of years and made the transition, um, I don't know that there's a better example out there than James Madison. Um, uh, again, I think there should be exceptions. And I think where we have a waiver process and there's an exception, it should be used. And I think that we need to look vividly and clearly at whether an institution is prepared for that. Um, There are some that, that, or maybe the majority that aren't Uh, in our case. uh, I felt like we were the exception and I don't, there, there have not been schools that I'm aware of and I've been doing this for a pretty long time. I think this is close to year 40 um, where a school financially and physically um, facilities wise is prepared as, as we were to do that. And, Granted, it's only two years, but it is two years, and I think the important thing that I mentioned earlier, where this is tough, is that you have the portal um, out there where if kids don't have opportunity, they can leave, and that that's not something that institutions in the past have dealt with. So, and I don't. I hate to see schools hurt in that regard, where where an opportunity is lost, especially in our case where the performance level was as high as it was. So, all I would say is. I think I think we need to to probably allow for some deeper uh adjustment to that policy, and I think again we need to be able to look at it honestly and say if an institution meets all the benchmarks, then there's really no reason why they shouldn't be allowed to to maybe move quicker than the two year period
1: well there's no question that James Madison said a. Unreal and new precedent as far as making that transition from on the field, off the field facilities financially like you talked about. So it'll definitely be interesting to see if other teams do make that move, how it's handled based on the new president you all have set. But James or Virginia as a whole, there's a ton of athletic programs there like Virginia, Virginia Tech, Liberty and even Old Dominion within the conference. But James Madison always regularly schedules home and away games with these schools. Why for you is it so important to face these teams and is it how important it is I guess for the state of Virginia as a whole as well?
2: It's important. I mean, I think we have a responsibility as state institutions um, to schedule and play one another. I mean, it just makes common. It just makes sense, right? We can get on a bus and go to Virginia we can go to Virginia Tech, ODU, Liberty, George Mason, VCU, all the different state schools. Uh, it, it, we it behooves us, I think, not to do that. It's a prudent use of dollars. Um, and it's a smart thing to do for competition it, my fans can travel to those venues and and buy tickets and have a have a meaningful and a, a really enjoyable experience playing at those at those peer institutions and th- hopefully there will be a day where they will come to us um i just feel like it's the right thing to do uh in the state um of course you know our we're an auxiliary and our revenue comes from self generated revenue, but at the same time we are a state school. And I think there's I think that that comes with responsibility. So I'm appreciative of when UVA and Virginia Tech play us and of course we're in the league with Old Dominion. We've got games scheduled with Liberty as well. But you know, all those state schools, I, I really wanna see us combine and combine our efforts and make sure we even do more of it than what we're doing now.
0: Yeah, it certainly would be something I know that Caden and I would love to see continue. I know fans would. I even know, you know, fans in other states would love to see that take place more often. Um, One of the major topics as we've spoken with athletic directors this offseason has been name, image, and likeness. And we've talked to a number of schools and we're seeing kind of an increased arms race. Uh, We've seen notable teams such as App State, Louisiana, and even Georgia Southern kind of further lean into that space. A couple of weeks ago, you guys leaned in with that Montpelier M- collective, the relationship there. How does that relationship allow James Madison to kind of keep pace in this new fast-paced side of the industry?
2: Well, you have to do it. I mean I, I, I won't say you know it, it's one of the things that if, if we had our way, we w- would necessarily want to move that direction. I'm, I, I would first start out by saying one, I am all for Nil the way Nil was designed originally. Where I have frustration is where you have recruiting and retention tactics that you know aren't fair, and and it basically is not how things were designed to go. That that's where my concern is. Um, but opportunity afforded to students to become entrepreneurs and learn to expose and drive their brand, and where Montpelier Collective can help in that, I'm I'm certainly all supportive of it, and I'm grateful for the work of, of the individuals that started and are running that. I think it's very important, but in this day and age, you can't not do it. Um, the, the The arms race is too high. There's too many factors. And again, it goes back to if it's allowed, um, then institutions are going to do it. And the only way that it will be changed is if, you know, legislation comes in and, and stops it. Um, I think NIL should always be there at, at its base level, the way it was designed, uh, I just again I, I struggle with with what I'll call the upper end of that. Um, the transfer portal, I I think is healthy. You know, if a if a student athlete wants to leave and it's the best thing for them, then I think that's good. I do think you have to weigh that on from the standpoint of of what's best for a student in terms of exposing them to life, right? If I go getting a job one day and things get tough, I don't just leave. You have to deal with that and learn to fight your way through it, learn from it, and then maybe move on. So I want to make sure that we're not just giving outlets for people to, to constantly find a new home when things get tough, because, you know, life is challenging. You guys know, I mean, everybody does. It's, it's not, it's not the way it's drawn up or in the book. Sometimes it's, uh, there's a lot there to be dealt with. So for us, it's, um, it's one of those things that we felt like was absolutely essential, and I think it is the wave of the future. I'm not sure how long it's going to stay the way it is, but for us to compete with our peer, our peers and our colleagues, it was it was an absolute must that we we have
1: a collective formed. Yeah, there's no doubt that the transfer portal and name, image, and likeness have kind of, in a way. Kind of flip recruiting around in a way I feel like people didn't normally or actually anticipate happening heading into those changes. But one of the other big exciting changes that's coming to college football in 2024 is the expansion of the college football playoff to 12 teams. It presents an opportunity for the Sunbelt schools like James Madison to potentially have a seat at the table and be in the playoffs. What is your thoughts on the expansion of the college football playoffs and how it specifically affects James Madison in the Sunbelt?
2: I'm absolutely elated. I mean, I think it's time for that. When you look at the preparedness and um, the the competitive level of so many teams today uh, across the country, they deserve that. I mean, there's there are some some incredible football teams out there that can compete at the highest levels, and for them to have that opportunity, uh, it was the right decision uh, at the right time. And I'm excited for every. Uh, league and team that gets a shot at that day because you know, James Madison's been a, a, a loyal supporter of the, the Football Coaches Association and uh, college football for, for a very long time, and it's uh, it's part of the fabric of our institution, and it's good to see a level of equity uh, be brought ac- across the board uh, to all schools now about that and, and what that means uh, financially. I mean that's a that's a big payday for leagues and you know our sport's not a cheap sport to, to run. So I'm glad to see the wealth being shared there and uh, I'm appreciative of uh, the powers that be that, that voted in that
0: direction. Well, we certainly hope to see a a Sunbelt school in that CFP playoff in the future. Perhaps James Madison. Uh, Jeff, we'll leave you with this. Uh, In your position, you understand that everything we've just talked about does not happen without the fan base. And we talked about James Madison. Their fans have been some of the best in the league this year. You guys have sold a record number of season tickets heading into uh, this upcoming season. Just talk about the James Madison fan base and what makes them so special.
2: Well, for us, when you go back over the years, you'd say, what are key ingredients to, su- to success? And certainly the university support uh, is very helpful. But there's no way we win championships. There's no way we even get in the Sun Belt. There's not any way that we build the facilities that we have if it weren't for our fans. And they are they are at the very core of what we do. Um they're there to support our student-athletes and make that experience an exceptional experience. Uh, our fan base is loyal. They travel well. Uh, they're, they're, they're out here loud and proud uh, on Saturdays and they you know, support us in, in all of our sports across the board. And for me, I think that's one of the really great things about the Sun Belt because we, we've said the future of sport, a large part of it's going to rely on rivalries and crowd attendance. Because you need, you need your fans, but you need good fans from the opposing institutions to, to support the tournaments and come to your site and buy tickets. So I, I give a great deal of credit to our fans, and um, they're just the absolute best. Uh, JMU Nation is a, a proud group, and they've shown that in their numbers on what they're going to do for fall this year. So I'm already excited thinking about that first game at home and uh, getting a chance to go across the mountain and play university of Virginia this year. Uh, we're going to do everything we can to turn that stadium purple versus orange and Navy. So should be a really exciting year. Well, I know
0: Caden and I are looking forward to perhaps trying to make it up to a game up there this year. We'd like to experience, uh, that environment, but Jeff, this has been great. We really appreciate, uh, your time and for uh, jumping on the Prairie and Smith podcast today.
2: Hey, we appreciate you guys. Thanks so much. I mean, the exposure is a wonderful thing for us and we just really appreciate the chance to get out there and, uh, Talk about being JMU proud.
0: Caden, we promised a good interview. That one certainly delivered. And Caden, we were talking a little bit before that interview and looking at what James Madison was able to do this year, particularly in football. And I don't feel like it's too much of a stretch, Caden, to say that this was the greatest transition ever from the FCS to the FBS in NCAA history.
1: Yeah, it's funny because when I was getting recruited by App State, they were mentioning that they were taking this, this step, this transition from the FCS to the FBS level. They won their first bowl game when I was a senior in high school and people were calling that already one of the better transitions a team in school has had. They didn't, they didn't lost a bowl game until my senior year. So now to have that happen in the Sunbelt has that history, that, that DNA of teams making that easy transition for JMU to kind of just say, Hold my beer up today Y'all think y'all made a good transition. We're going to get ranked in our first year. We're going to start off undefeated and hot. And we're going to just keep building on the great FCS tradition that we've built up. It's truly great to see for the conference. It elevates the game of everybody. And just huge kudos to Jeff for maintaining that level of success that they had at the FCS level. And it's kind of hard to bet against them being just as successful at the FBS level now.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And Kane, one of the things that I found so interesting in that interview was the restraint that James Madison showed. They talked about taking time to build up facilities, building up staffing, infrastructure, uh, so that when they made that leap, uh, it was successful. You don't see that a lot of a lot of times uh, in this current era of Division I football.
1: You don't. And just continuing to draw back on my experience in the conference, I remember a time when Idaho was in the conference and we had to play teams like them in New Mexico State. And when you just look at their infrastructure and what they had, they shortly made an exit out of the conference just because they weren't built up and ready for that level. And it's clear that James Madison is ready for that level. They've stepped up to the occasion, kind of created the blueprint for teams who might want to make that transition in the future. So they've done a great job, an outstanding job, and it's hard to deny what they've done so far.
0: Kane, you knew we couldn't address it on that podcast, kind of the elephant in the room, this transition period. James Madison wanted to speed it up. The NCAA said not so fast. I, I really liked what Jeff had to say there. More saying that moving forward, they're perhaps needs to be a process to examine readiness as a part of this transition from FCS to FBS football.
1: Yeah, and if a rule is changed and made, it's going to be probably called or referred to as the James Madison rule, because we just didn't think that teams were going to be able to transition so smoothly. And it was more of a, a rule that was looking after the programs versus looking after everyone else. And apparently, now it's more of a rule that's looking after the other teams that were in some belt contention that were in those the playoff picture even moving forward. And I think James Madison establishing himself as such a powerhouse so early is just changing the game. And I think they love how I love how Jeff kind of flipped it as a positive and kind of made it to where the seniors and the guys on that team would have a good taste in their mouth, a good lasting impression moving forward in their last season. But very interesting how they've changed the game and kind of flipped it on its head. And it'll be very interesting moving forward to see if any teams making the transition might have different rules and different regulations just based on the new precedent that James Madison has now set.
0: Yeah, it will definitely be fascinating. I will give you that. I hope that there is a, a case study someday done on what James Madison has done to prepare themselves uh, for this move because it was certainly a successful one. Well, that will do it for this exciting episode of the Frarian and Smith podcast. Again, we'd like to say a special thank you to James Madison Athletic Director Jeff Bourne as well as Assistant AD Kevin Warner for helping make today's conversation possible. Before you go, don't forget that we'll be back with the next episode of the Prairie and Smith podcast on Wednesday, June 28th. We're going to continue our Sunbelt position previews ahead of the 2023 football season. Caden, I know you're excited about this one. We'll be talking and taking a closer look at the loaded linebacking core in the league that features a lot of star power heading into 2023. That'll do it for us here at the Frary and Smith Podcast. As always, if you like today's episode, please take a moment, like, rate, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and the show out. We're going to continue to be here over the final months of the offseason, keeping you up to date with all the latest happenings from around the Sunbelt. So for Caden Smith, Richmond Weaver, and Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Frary. We really appreciate you spending time with us today. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon.